Your body is a temple. You are what you eat. Do not eat processed food, junk foods, filth, or disease-carrying food, animals, or rodents. Some people say of these foods, well, it tastes good. Hello and welcome to episode 489 of Under the Cull of MS. This is, uh, oh, I don't know, a healthy Monday, uh, medical Monday, uh, multiple sclerosis Monday, I don't know. This is basically going to be a Wellness Wednesday episode on a Monday. I need to get through some stuff, so I figure this is the easiest way to get past a bunch of this. Get caught up, clean up some of my files, all my emails, all that crap. Get some room back on my computer. I got way too much useless information. Well, some good information, some useless information just piling up. And I need to go through it so so in the near future we can get into some new normal, more up-to-date view of things that are coming out to help with multiple sclerosis and other health conditions. And I just want to clean all this up and then Get stirred fresh and anew for the upcoming new year. And get our whole our whole podcasting video whatever type platform smoothed out and have a whole new base of shows and podcast for people to listen or watch but this is just gonna help me get through some of the stuff that's been piled up for years now so let's go through this stuff see if we find anything new interesting i'll probably do this today and then do a normal tuesday comics and health episode and then a wellness wednesday episode maybe a thursday comics and well wellness episode and that should get rid of a a lot of the files uh, figure within a, a few weeks I should be able to get most of it all cleaned up and then we can start fresh and anew with some more updated things that have been happening around the multiple sclerosis world there are some interesting events going on right now and hopefully some will be promising and may help us with some things in the future. We will just have to see how it all goes. But let's see here. Starting out. Oh. Let's start out right there. That looks like a good one. What do you want to know about dental extractions? And we've heard about things. Over the years, uh, there's been Netflix, I believe, had the the whole tooth or something like that. 
program that was talking about how uh, root canals can end up causing all kinds of other health issues. And it was really interesting learning about where the where our arteries run and how the veins and stuff go through the teeth and how when you kill off the different veins, what happens to them. And it's highly interesting, especially knowing how much stuff go, flows and moves through our dental area and then me of having all my teeth ripped out so it's to me watching those it's like am i causing damage by having all those roots ripped out and then those nerve endings are all getting cut and there's no continuous flow of blood and cells going through your jaws I don't know. I was always curious about that. I've had a brother-in-law that passed away in an early age uh, that had all his teeth removed when he was younger. But it's not like he passed away because of something that was dental related or anything like that. But yes, always made me wonder if it does shorten your life if you do extract your teeth or I don't know. I'm not a dentist, but let's see what they had to say here. They say, oh, MS can affect your daily dental care and the dental care you receive from professionals. Multiple sclerosis can make it difficult to keep up with your dental hygiene. Symptoms of multiple sclerosis may cause tremors that make holding a toothbrush or, and brushing a challenge. A weakened grip that can make holding a toothbrush difficult. Fatigue that can make daily tasks overwhelming. Facial soreness and numbness that make daily brushing and flossing painful. Depression and other mood changes that can affect your motivation. But, I mean, nowadays you got so much dental uh, items and utensils that you can use that are battery operated you just got to hold them in a position they do all the work for you they got water picks that can spray all the crap out between your teeth which it's amazing how much stuff get can sit in between your teeth when you go and floss and see what actually comes out of there Let's see. People who have multiple sclerosis are often prescribed medications that can cause dry mouth and sugary dietary supplements that can lead to plaque buildup. These medications and supplements can cause unwanted side effects like tooth decay and gum disease. It can be difficult to manage these side effects while you're managing your other symptoms of multiple sclerosis. Uh, they say... Not all dental professionals are used to treating people with multiple sclerosis. Well, yeah, they might have dental chairs that are inaccessible or painful to sit in for long stretches of time. Yeah, I've dealt with that with my MS before, just trying to get 
in a comfortable position while in some of those hard, goofy, weird dental chairs. But eh, it's the same style chairs that most like tattooists and stuff use. Uh, it's more effective. The things that affect it, things more is like the light system and all that. Trying to adapt to it's like they were. I always had problems trying to spit into those containers, and I'd get shit everywhere. Just I don't know, my mind and mouth didn't work together. But uh, some other dental care challenges for people with MS include an inability to keep your head still and in the correct position during a dental exam, respiratory issues that make it difficult to take breaths. While fully reclined in a dental chair, dental pain and numbness that makes it hard to hold the mouth open without assistance. It's, I mean, that pretty much, all this pretty much could go f- for any anybody. I don't see this as just multiple sclerosis related issues. These seem like all standard issues that anybody could be dealing with. Uh see regular dental visits can be challenging procedures such as dental extractions can add to those challenges tooth extractions require longer visits and can add to the pain and difficulty of standard dental work the exact challenges and accommodations depend on the patient the severity of their symptoms and the number of extractions needed Uh, some steps that the dentist will take with a patient with multiple sclerosis might be taking breaks in the procedure every five to 10 minutes to ensure comfort using a mouth prop so that the patient does not have to hold their mouth open on their own using specialized cushions or pads on the dental chair coordinating with the patient's primary care doctor about medication doses on the day of the procedure and there's a lot of things that wasn't wasn't MS related. It was just health related period. But throughout the years with dentists, I've had issues with certain medications I was on. I had, what is it? Atrial fib, AFib. Uh, no, it was, uh, oh, come on. It's heart murmur issues when I was, child because I was born with some some type of flap one of my aortic flap bell flaps or something was formed wrong when I was born and it gradually I guess eventually grew to formed itself the way it's supposed to be or formed itself to a way that works and it's like they looked at it over the years, but I don't, it apparently grew itself into a usable position, I guess, or I don't know how to explain it. Fucking doctors always got some type of thing that they'll come up with. They always use something for excuses if they have to, for what causes something else. And, 
can always fall back on things like that. <clears throat> I've been told the area is fine. I've been told the area is still damaged. I've been told there's nothing that shows anything that was there or not there. So I don't know what to believe anymore. I just go appointment by appointment and hope like hell I make it through each day without tons of issues. What else are you going to do? Other than bitch about the doctors and then complain about them not perfectly figuring everything out for you. But have you ripped apart a person lately and <laughs> just seen how hard it is to deal with those tiny little blood vessels and veins and arteries and cells and stuff you cannot see and you're supposed to get in there and take a big enough item to operate on something and run it through your artery and to get it to the area that's damaged without ripping any other holes in the arteries or whatever they're doing. Yeah, it's... I feel for doctors. I I get it. Uh, you got a hard freaking job. You can't blame you for something that... I mean, you're miracle workers and you're working... You're basically playing God god by opening up a person and operating on them uh, some tools that can help you at home like i mentioned electric toothbrushes there's wide or long handled toothbrushes there's plastic flossers if regular floss is too hard to manage they got those plastic handled ones that have the floss already in the pick and they have a little pick on the other side and stuff they got all kinds of fancy little things nowadays. They, uh, the water pick, which I mentioned earlier, a weighted glove can help you keep your hand from shaking while you brush. Bathroom seats, stools and benches in your bathroom can give you a place to rest, rest while you brush. Uh, things you can do to boost your dental hygiene. Avoid smoking, stay hydrated, drink lots of water to help clean out the, your mouth. Using a humidifier can keep the air around you moist and help prevent dry mouth, especially at night. Chewing gum encourages saliva production in your mouth and can help prevent dry mouth. That can also help prevent cavities. And they recommend sugar-free gum, obviously. Making regular dental appointments, eating a well-balanced diet, replacing your toothbrush every three months. <laughs> I could say I pretty much use a toothbrush until I decide to use it for a cleaning vessel for cleaning around the edges of the shower or something like that. <laughs> then I'll replace it. But yeah, I was never about that uh, MS can cause that bitch of a nerve pain called trigeminal neuralgia which it's not in your teeth instead it's nerve pain on the side of your face but it can affect and you can feel the pain in your teeth and in your jaw but it's not actually in the pain it, it, the pain's not actually in the teeth 
but it could affect the nerves of the teeth, I would think. Uh, there is no link between multiple sclerosis, tooth extractions, and, and strokes, which apparently was thought to be a thing at one time, apparently, if someone's bringing it up. Uh, there's no known treat, dental treatments that you should avoid with multiple sclerosis. Uh, that they at least know of. But yeah. Just like everybody else, watch. Just watch things. Work with your doctor and your dentist. Talk to them. Let them know what pains and issues and stuff you're dealing with. Let them know what medications you're on in case there's anything that they have to use that could affect something that you're taking but let's see ms reversed by transplanted immune cells that fight epstein-barr virus yeah I, we've talked about this before the epstein-barr virus whole thing is a belief that that may be a disease that maybe related to us getting MS, but I call BS on that. Uh, they say in a small trial, some immune cells that fight the Epstein-Barr virus have stopped progression of multiple sclerosis, which is bullshit because we've not found anything new about that, but they say it can stop progression of MS that leads to symptoms of difficulty walking that worsens over time. I, I call BS on all that. Uh, it's like transplants of the immune cells that trigger target the Epstein-Barr virus have shown promise for treating multiple sclerosis in early stage trial. Brain scans suggest the progression of the condition was reversed in some participants, but this needs to be confirmed by larger trials. Yeah, I don't think there's been any reversal of any type of MS anywhere. Otherwise, we'd be seeing billboards going up about that shit. So I don't know where, where they're getting this. I understand. I mean, the thing is with, the whole Epstein-Barr virus, the HSTCT or whatever, the stem cell treatment that people have been going through, um, different type of anti-inflammatory things, exercise, working out, diets, all this stuff. You hear all these things, I mean, all these great things that people dealt with when they first started dealing with whatever they want to bring up that they're talking about. And it's like, yeah, common sense. No matter who you are, if you start bettering your life by doing diet, exercise, things that are healthier for you, your body is going to feel it and it's going to feel healthier. But just because all of a sudden you're not feeling certain pains and you're not dealing with certain multiple sclerosis issues, 
That does not mean that those issues have been reversed, stopped, cured, any of that bullshit. It just means, which is a word that we're all used to if you have multiple sclerosis, they are in remission. They are just taking a break, hibernating away, saying, hey, we're going on vacay for right now. It looks like you're doing some good things to your body. We'll see what happens in the long run. And then all of a sudden, one day, they're like, man, we miss hanging out with you. And bam, there you are. You're laid up in bed. You're crippled up. Or you're having problems walking. Or you got to use extra assisted devices to get around, whatever. Because certain issues just decide to raise their little head and appear again and cause some issues. Whether or not you did what you did helped put those in remission for a while. It doesn't mean that if you didn't do those things that they want to went in remission. It doesn't mean that they want to come back either way, whether you were doing the healthier things or not doing them. I have yet to see that one person out of all these people with MS, that one person that after a certain amount of time is still perfectly fine. Everybody I know that I have followed, watched, listened to, I've seen them still go through ups and downs, as many of us do. And I don't think that they should be putting things out there set. There's certain words that should not be used, and that is things like cure, stop, reverse. I mean, certain things just should not be talked about unless a person goes, give me 20 years. On 20 years on the record that you did this and all your stuff flip-flopped, changed, put you back to a normal mode and you don't have no more issues, never have any issues, and fine. I want to hear about that. I want to hear about that one person. But I have yet to hear that. I have heard all the people that sit there and say, oh, I feel way much better. I'm doing this much. I'm doing all these things. And then all of a sudden, bam, you don't hear nothing from them for a while. What happened? What's going on? And then they come out of the woodwork once they start feeling a little bit better. Oh, I just had a little off spell or I, I, I accidentally ate a candy bar one day and now I just had to deal with those issues that came along with it and my body didn't like it I regretted it and I felt it and I'm gonna blame everything on that now and that's what caused all my issues <laughs> it's like I don't know there's a long way to go with all these things, I mean, that's the hard part about it, is sitting there trying to, 
you can come up with ideas, you can come up with concepts, you can come up with things that may or may not help. But no matter what, you got to spend a minimum of five years proving that those things are still doing what they're doing. Uh, And if we're waiting 5, 10, 15, 20 years for results of stuff, by then it's going to be too late for many of us to even even have a chance at those items. So you got to try what they're doing and see how it goes with your body. And <clears throat> it's good to do all do thing. It's good to be healthier. It's good to get that exercise, eat healthier. But there's a lot of this things going around where people like to try certain medications and stuff just because they hear someone talking like with the whole COVID virus, all of a sudden people started taking, what was it, horse, not horse tranquilizers, but certain medications for horses. It's like horses are bigger animals than humans and dose-wise you don't know what you're putting in your body. You're just taking chances. And I don't know. There's got to be a better way to do this stuff. I know it's the 21st century. I wish we are there where we should be with the Star Trek. Little handheld devices where you just walk up and scan a person's body. And it tells you everything that's wrong with them. I wish we were there, but instead of focusing on things like that, that we should be focusing on, we're focusing on coming up with more and more medications that help diseases sit in remission, put them at bay, mellow them out, not fix them, not cure them, not It's just more and more damn medications with all these extra side effects that might help keep us from having an attack in the near future. But yet we don't know if the medicine held us off to that for six months before we had something happen or if it's just normal life. We don't know. I can go a year without having certain issues and then they appear doesn't mean because I blew my nose one day that that fixed those things. No, we don't know for sure why they're in, why they go on remission, why they take a break, what things might happen at a certain time to cause the effect of those to happen. I don't know. It's just, it's a very strange, long, complicated world of trying to figure those things out. But hopefully, if you find, if you can try things that work for you and you can build yourself around it and make your lifestyle a lifestyle you can live with with the disease, that's what I say is the best way to go about it. But I'm not a doctor. I'm not someone that you should listen to. I just talk about things that are sent to me, given to me, told to me, and I'm trying to figure them out for myself. 
but it's all a crapshoot. It's all just a test trial. Everything can be different on every different person. It's a snowflake disease. We all deal with it differently. We deal with the side effects differently. We deal with the medications differently. It's just no two people may be alike. And so if you're listening to what worked for someone else and you're like, okay, that's going to work for me, you don't know that. It may or may not help a little bit, but don't expect what works for someone else to work for you. Listen to your body, write everything down, build yourself around it, and go from there. So right now I'm doing a big medicine uh, reprogramming where I am going through all my medicines and trying to decide which ones I want to stick with because I am sick and tired of all these other issues. And when you look at that medicine box and it's just full of four times a day, at least three to seven pills each time, it's adds up in your body and who knows where all that sediment from all those medications is settling in and what it's going to cause in the future but i'm running out of time in this segment i'll be right back with a second part of the show right after this all right back to our medical monday show i guess uh let's see here what else do we got to talk about Let's see, heart rate. What's normal and dangerous heart rates? A normal pulse rate for adults is between 60 and 100 beats per minute. The resting heart rate is when your heart pumps the minimal amount of blood that your body needs because you're at rest. I know they like to take your blood pressure like 15 minutes after you sat down. and It's like, wouldn't you want the blood pressure and heart rate at normal mode? What it's like when the person's physically moving around and doing things? It's think that's what they'd want but apparently not Uh, let's see this table shows the average normal resting heart rate for adults based on age they're looking at 18 to 20 at 81.6 beats per minute and these are resting heart rates 21 to 30 is 80.2, 31 to 40 is 78.5, 41 to 50 is 75.3, 51 to 60 is 73.9, 61 to 70 is 73, and then 71 to 80 is 74.2 and then over 80 is 78.1 so it's like our average resting heart rate our beats per minute goes down about yeah one to three points per every 10 years of life but then once you 
hit 70, apparently it reverses, and then we start going up again by 1 to 2, well, 1 to 3 beats per minute every 10 years. So. See, for a newborn to three months, a waking resting heart rate beats per minute is 85 to 205. Holy shit. A sleeping resting heart rate beat per minute is 80 to 160. And three months to two years, waking resting heart rate is 100 to 190. And sleeping resting heart rate is 75 to 160. So it's pretty much goes down significantly. Over those first few years of life, uh, two years to 10 years is 60 to 140 for a waking resting heart rate and 60 to 90 for a sleeping resting heart rate beats per minute. And over 10 years, they're looking at 60 to 100 for waking and 50 to 90 for sleeping. Things that can affect your resting heart rate is temperature. It may increase when you're exposed to hot temperatures. I would think cold temperatures could affect it too, especially if you're getting shivers and stuff. But I'm not a doctor. Talk to your doctor about everything. I just go over things that I get and talk about them say what i think about them but i am definitely not the one to listen to <laughs> just listen to me about things you might hear about that might interest you that you might want to check out for yourself medication side effects can affect your resting heart rate it's like beta blockers can lower you lower it but there's also medications that can give you that wonderful pulse that's erratic, uh, rapid, slowed, that one that I get where it just feels like the heart just stopped and then all of a sudden thump, you get this big thump and it's back pumping again and it's, that's always scary. Uh, emotions can affect it. Your heart rate, your weight, anemia, endocrine or hormonal hormonal abnormalities, postural tachycardia syndrome, POTS, which can increase the heart rate after sitting up or standing. In addition to heart palpitations, some typical symptoms of POTS include dizziness and fainting which I can see if you're getting up fast and it affects your heart rate and yeah, you can get dizzy spells and stuff. Yeah, definitely be careful. Body positioning, heart rate can increase temporarily when you move from a sitting to a standing position. Smoking. And that's what I don't understand is why they always want to get your resting heart rate. I don't know why they wouldn't want to get your physical active heart rate because you are standing up, sitting down, moving around more than you are sitting, hopefully. But let's see. 
What is your target heart rate? Let's see. They have the target heart rate for 20 years old is 100 to 170, and the average maximum heart rate for beats per minute is 200. So if you're hitting those numbers, you definitely want to see a doctor. Uh, for 30-year-olds, 95 to 160 is your target. Your maximum is 190. 35-year-olds, 93 to 157 for target and maximum of 185. 40-year-olds, 90 to 153 is your target and then 180 is your maximum. 45-year-olds, 88 to 149 is target, 175 is maximum. 50-year-olds, 85 to 145 for your target, 170 max. 55-year-olds, 83 to 140, 165 max. 60-year-olds, 80 to 136 with 160 max. 65-year-olds is 78 to 132 with 155 max and 70 year olds is 75 to 128 with 150 max and i guess if you're over 70 they don't care <laughs> uh, a dangerous heart rate what is it there may be times when you experience a heart rate that's faster or slower than what's normal for you not every single instance of this type of Beats per minute imbalance is considered dangerous, especially when a doctor is monitoring it. When your heart rate is too fast, it's called tachycardia. For adults, a fast heart rate is defined above 100 beats per minute. But what's considered too fast may also depend on your age and overall health. There's different types of tachycardia, like multifocal atrial, ventricular, and sinus. Their classifications are based on their cause and the part of the heart they affect. Experiencing tachycardia may be temporary, but definitely check with your doctor. Some possible causes of Tachycardia can include an underlying health condition, anxiety or stress, heavy caffeine consumption, heavy alcohol consumption, electrolyte imbalance, anemia, hormonal problems such as thyroid, which has been a bigger thing lately. More and more people are learning that certain issues are caused, being caused by their thyroid having problems. Uh, fever, intense or strenuous exercise or physical activity, side effects from medication, cigarette smoking, or a use of certain drugs like cocaine. Uh, when your heart rate is too slow, it's referred to as bradycardia. Bradycardia is typically defined as a heart rate less than 60 beats per minute. For athletes and people that exercise regularly, a heart rate of under 60 beats per minute is normal and even healthy. Some possible causes of brachycardia include side effects from meds, 
electrolyte imbalance, obstructive sleep apnea, an underlying health condition, being an older adult, or problems with the condition, conduction system of the heart. Uh, see your doctor or go to the nearest emergency room as soon as you can if you notice a sudden change in your heartbeat that's accompanied by shortness of breath, chest tightness or pain, dizziness or lightheadedness, fainting or an inability to exercise. It could be a sign of a serious heart complication. There's a wide variety of wearable devices you can use to check your heart rate. Make sure the batteries are up to date and you're not running on low batteries and not getting the numbers that you want. Uh, you can find your pulse on the inside of your wrist. Using the tips of your first two fingers, press lightly over, your, over the artery. Count your pulse for 30 seconds and then multiply that number by two to find your beats per minute. But don't rely on that method if you're feeling like your heart is beating too fast or too slow and you're uncomfortable. The best solution is to get doctor's advice. Things that can increase heart rate, like tachycardia. Uh, also, health conditions like anemia, congenital heart disease, heart disease that's affecting blood flow, hyper, hyperthyroidism, injury to the heart, like from a heart attack, and ventricular or supraventricular arrhythmias. Taking illegal drugs like stimulants, like cocaine or methamphetamines, or misusing prescription medications or non-prescription medication products, or non-prescription products like diet supplements, may also cause your heart to beat too fast. Uh, if you have like asthma and you gotta take use an inhaler, I had to do that one time because I had a a little bit of asthma issues showing and they gave me an inhaler when I used to inhaler it gave me an irregular heartbeat it caused a bunch of issues so watch out for things like that and diet supplements uh, and certain ones can affect your prescription medications you're on they can cross contaminate and cause issues uh, certain medications can't you can't have things like grapefruit uh, just check your medications see what kind of side effects they have and what kind of issues could be caused by certain things you do uh, other less serious reasons for a fast heart rate include drinking caffeine or alcohol stress physical exercise or pregnancy uh, you should definitely see a doctor if you have shortness of breath fainting spells lightheadedness or dizziness feeling fluttering or palpitations in your chest having pain or discomfort in your chest or an inability to exercise they have things like a halter or event monitor to diagnose you 
electrocardiogram, stress test, a tilt table test, a imaging test, electrophysiologic testing, and just check with your doctor. There's lots of things that you can do and they can check out and send you home with. You don't necessarily have to stay in the hospital. I've had heart machines where I've went home with them and they just you spend I don't know, anywhere from a day to a week or a few days just wearing the device and then they get the readings off it and see what happens and you hit a little button anytime you have certain issues and that marks little things on their little devices so they can see what the numbers were when you hit the button and yeah, technology's wonderful. They've gotten some great things out there to help us understand our bodies more, but they're also, I feel, way behind on certain technologies that we should have. But I think they focus too much on other things than the technologies that they should themselves. All right. Let's see. Talk about ED treatments for old people. <laughs> Not necessarily older people. It can be younger people too nowadays that have erectile dysfunction. But they're going to talk about older adults. Erectile dysfunction, ED, is very common. Although it can affect men of all ages, it occurs more often in older adults and those with certain medical conditions like diabetes uh, now you can go beyond that because multiple sclerosis is well known for issues sexually and uh, let's see they got some numbers here percentages which I don't like going over uh, factors that include Conditions common among older adults, such as cardiovascular disease, diabetes, reduced levels of testosterone, use of medications that treat conditions, including high blood pressure, chronic pain, prostate disorders, depression, long-term heavy substance use, including alcohol and tobacco, psychological conditions, including stress, anxiety, and depression, overweight or obesity uh, the best treatments for people that are 70 or older there's a variety of ed treatments that are currently available but you gotta talk to your doctor because that little blue pill and stuff can't go with other medications you can end up having serious side effects or possible death or something like that so you got to be careful with mixing medications Always talk to your doctor about it, but treat underlying conditions that contribute to ED, such as cardiovascular disease and diabetes. Address ED symptoms with oral medications and other alternatives. Uh, the most commonly used ED medications among older adults are from a class of drugs called phosphodiesterase. 5 PDE5 inhibitors. 
They block the activity of an enzyme in the walls of the blood vessels. As a result, blood vessels are able to relax. In the penis, this means more blood can fill the blood vessels, producing an erection. Let's see. The main PDE5 inhibitors available with a prescription are sildenafil, which is Viagra, Tadelafil, which is Cialis, Vardenafil, which is Levitra, and Avanafil, which is Stendra. Uh, except for Avanafil, all of those meds are available in both brand name and generic versions. This was as of 2020. More ED medications are in the testing. They got the ones that you can get now over the counter and order them online. But definitely ask your doctor about them. Not that you're taking a heart medication or something and all of a sudden you cause other issues because of it. Uh, Side effects from these medications are usually temporary and minor. More serious reactions such as priapism, which is a painful prolonged erection. You always, you've heard of that. Most people have heard that saying if you got an erection for more than four hours, contact your doctor. (laughs) I had an erection for more than four hours. I'd be a happy man. Typical side effects include headache, flushing, congestion, stomach and back pain. Uh, People who have certain health conditions, including heart disease, shouldn't take these medications. People who take certain medications to manage other health conditions shouldn't take PDE5 inhibitors either. This includes nitrates and alpha blockers. See, there's injections. The three most widely used medications for penile injection therapy include papaverine, fentolamine, and prostaglandin E1, PGE1, or alprostadil, also known as Caverject, Edex, or Muse. To use these, you inject the medication into the penis with a syringe before intercourse. While this approach often results in some minor temporary pain, research shows that about 90, well, a good percent of men who used Elprostadil were satisfied with the results. I don't want to be shooting my wiener up every time I have sex. What the hell? <laughs> They also have inflatable prosthesis. If oral or injected medications can't be used or don't provide desired results, another ED treatment is an inflatable prosthesis surgically implanted in the penis. Once you have a penile implant, it permanently alters the penile anatomy. This means... Other treatments can't be used after it's placed. While not a specific treatment, making some changes in your day-to-day can make a noticeable difference in erectile function. Some helpful strategies include quitting smoking, limiting or avoiding alcohol or substance use, 
maintaining a moderate weight, exercising more often than not, following an unhealthy diet, or following a healthy diet that supports cardiovascular health, they say such as the Mediterranean diet. Uh, yeah, let's see, yeah, all that stuff, we know about that. Basically, ED at any age can be a troubling condition among Older adults, it may be more expected, but it's nevertheless still a concern. ED meds, medications, and other treatments have a track record of effectively and safely treating ED symptoms in older adults. Proper treatment starts with a frank conversation with your doctor. Don't be embarrassed to have this conversation. They've they've heard everything you can think of. Just about and they're not going to, unless they're complete assholes, they're not going to be dicks about it. They're not going to laugh at you about it. They understand it. Hell, half of them have. Some of them probably have the issues. But it's also important to talk openly, honestly, with your partner. ED is a simply a health condition. It should be approached thoughtfully in a straightforward manner. In the same way you would address any other condition like arthritis or high blood pressure. And if they're dicks about it, you don't belong with them. And there it is. Why would you want to be with someone that's going to treat you like shit because of the problem that you're having, a health condition you're having? Uh, Counseling may also be helpful for both you and your partner while you seek the right medical care for this common concern. So there's lots of possibilities to maybe work things out, fix things make them at least doable but sucks when you're on medications that you can't take other things for and you don't know what options to try so you gotta go to more natural things but there are things that you can try so look out look look them up see what you can find to help you out let's see how about some foods that your vagina loves. Uh, see, your diet does more than impact your waistline. It also affects your overall health of your vagina and can contribute to infections, odor, and more. Foods that are good and cranberry juice, it's great to help tackle, take care of, prevent UTIs. Uh, they contain powerful acidic gum compounds to fight bacteria Uh, sweet potatoes contain contain high amounts of vitamin a and beta carotene which help prevent bv contain fiber which can regulate insulin levels in those with pcos which is polycystic ovary syndrome and BV is bacterial vaginosis. Uh, Start your morning with a sweet potato toast recipe. You can look up online for energy and an ample dose of vitamin A. There's probiotics that introduce good bacteria down there. There is omega-3 plant fatty acids for vaginal health. It can help treat painful Menstrual cramping with less risk and adverse reactions promote circulation and may relieve vaginal dryness. 
Sorry, I need, I got mouth dryness. So I need to take a sip of water there. You can find these essential fatty acids in oily fish, fish like salmon, flax seeds, eggs, walnuts, and, and more. Fruit provides vital reproductive nutrients. Fruits high in antioxidants include pomegranates, blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, apples, and goji berries. The goji dana. Uh, fruits can improve blood flow and keep cells healthy, enhance female and male fertility, reduce chances of developing uterine fibroid. Soy contains plant-derived phytoestrogen, beneficial to women with decreased estrogen levels, and it can help with vaginal dryness and benefit skin and blood vessel health in postmenstrual women. I got a stupid MS hug kicking in, so I got to keep sipping water here. But we're almost done. Avocados. Enhance your libido. They contain healthy fats, vitamin B6, and potassium. They may enhance lubrication and strengthen vaginal walls. Leafy greens are naturally blood purifying and enhance circulation. They contain nitrates that may help prevent vaginal dryness. Before sex, stay away from foods that cause body odor like garlic, asparagus, onions, Brussels sprouts, fish, coffee, red meats, spicy foods, and certain vitamins and supplements such as choline. But, yeah, there's just, you never know, there's always things that can help out with certain things, and if you can fix things by eating certain foods that are good for you wouldn't you rather do that and take medications that are gonna have weird side effects i know i would but yeah so hopefully some of those things help you out today have a wide variety of different things to help people uh we'll try and Keep active at least this week with some more episodes, trying to get through all these files. So be good to yourself, be good to everybody else. Catch you at a monster and check out our YouTube videos and our podcast, all under the name Under the Cull of MS. And we will get back to you hopefully tomorrow with another episode of Comics and Health. Take care.